Today's guest is your favorite Palestinian filmmaker, Vin Arfuso, to talk to us about his first documentary, Walled Off. I'm Palestinian. My grandparents are Palestinian refugees. Israel's been winning PR war. I mean, they're fighting people under occupation. You know, they're a nuclear power. Why is a congressman from the Bronx talking about the Iron Dome? Fix the Bronx. You say you care about human rights. Like Israel arrests 700 children a year. Your taxpayer dollars funding. That doesn't bother you. Pushing anti-Semitism is a vital element in the equation of Zionism. Theodore Herzl wrote in his diary, anti-Semites will be our best allies. Somebody like Richard Spencer, a literal neo-Nazi, is allowed to say, I'm a proud Zionist. He supports the state of Israel. Nobody has a beef with that. Care about all these other things that you're told to care about, or maybe you really do care about, but when I bring that up, you get scared. That's really my goal. My peers, kids I grew up with, be entertained and informed. Have you ever seen the, the BBC footage where they announce Building 7 before it drops? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I felt watching this movie. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 78 of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where we break down the latest headlines dealing with Palestine from all over the world and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of supporting the Palestinian struggle for justice and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You might know me from Instagram as at Gazan Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B. What's up, y'all? Mikey B on TikTok, Michael Scherzer on Instagram. And you can call me Mikey Intifada if you just murked one of your own thinking he was Palestinian. They do do that. That that, that does happen. Oh, yeah, that happened, right? <laughs> yeah. That, that didn't get enough press. That's why I'm trying to bring it up. Today's guest is your favorite Palestinian filmmaker, Vin Arfuso, to talk to us about his first documentary, Walled Off. Vin, welcome again to the Palestine Pod. Thank you. Has premiered twice, first in Italy and then later on in New York. Correct. And eventually we're going to do Los Angeles very soon. Looking forward to it. Yeah, you'll definitely be invited. We're going to have you on stage as the poster boy. Oh, sick. <laughs> I mean, to be honest with you, I felt seen by your movie. Like I was crying at certain points, but it was so brilliant, man. So I was so proud of you and, you know. In Judaism, we have a term like kvelling, and I was just, I was very proud. I was, you, you know. You were kvelling the whole time? The whole time. Thank you. We we kvell for you because, you know, you're joining the good fight. Thanks, bud. You're braver than us, I swear. Nah, man. It's not a competition. No, but I mean, do you have, like, family that you argue with, or is, or is a good amount of your family, like, on? Like, well, first you, of have all. Have you educated them? Obviously, like, you're insanely involved. First of all, all Jews have family that they argue with. That's what mm. being Jewish is about. But yeah, I mean, I have family that believes different things, you know? I have brought them closer to justice. Cool. That makes me happy. Yeah. And I think just they see what I'm doing and they know what's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you're and you're a, you're a good boy. Why would you do something bad? You know, why would you be doing something that's uh, not for the greater good? Yeah, like I went to outside of a weapons factory and I interviewed activists who were destroying a weapons factory for morality purposes. Doesn't, doesn't seem very safe, but good for them. Yeah, but they're doing you know the best on the ground direct action work. And I I was explaining this to my mom. I was like, yeah. So I was at this weapons factory. You know what I mean? And I'm in London, and she was like, yeah, yeah, that's 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 great. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. Oh, so man, your mom yeah. was a fan of Palestine Action. 
Uh, I wouldn't say that for the record. <laughs> You're like, no. I just saw Walled Off yesterday. I'd seen it early on when you were still working on it and editing it. The version I saw yesterday, you updated to include information about the murder of Shireen Abu Akla and also the investigation that was opened really just a few days ago by the U.S., so I don't know when you're going to be done with the movie, right? Because it keeps changing. When did you finish? Because I feel like you've been doing screenings for a few weeks, but you had footage from like November 2nd. Have you ever seen the, the BBC footage where they announce Building 7 before it drops? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I felt watching this movie. <laughs> Funny, because we had like a, a very small screening the, uh, the 15th, and there was footage, a title card in it from November 14th, the day before. And like, I kind of just saw people like looking around like confused and like, yeah, no, I, I did that today before I got here. And that's kind of been the problem. I mean, I don't, not the problem, but my own personal thing of like not being able to put it out. But I just knew that there was a bigger story to be told that was going to unfold. Shireen thing was obviously not uh, something I saw coming. Obviously didn't want to see that happening, but it was something I felt I needed to include. Yeah, I don't want, I don't want to give too much of it away because honestly, like, as you know, like it's geared for an American audience and there's things in there, especially with Netanyahu that Americans don't even know happen. And he's such a prominent figure that's, you know, he comes, he comes to Congress and gets what, what was it? 27 rounds of applause from, from politicians on both sides of the aisle. So he's not just some, it's not just somebody, some random like leader who I'm just deciding to attack. As, aside from that, you know, people are always like, are you, why are you picking on Israel? It's like, Number one, I'm Palestinian. That's yeah. first. And, that's first and foremost. Like my my grandparents are Palestinian refugees. So and then number two, it's like, well, we give Israel the most military aid out of any country on the planet. I don't know. Ukraine might have beat them this year consistently. Obviously, you know, uh, Israel's been the highest recipient of uh, U.S. aid. So it's like it's it's intertwined in our lives. You know, if you guys want to talk about you know our national budget and healthcare, like all of these things, all relative. Yeah, man. The People in Congress, their hands were sore from clapping from Netanyahu. Yeah, I mean, it's disgusting. Think about any politician in the U.S. that could trigger such a response. There's not a single American politician that no. would get 28 rounds of applause. There is there any other world leader that could trigger such a response? I don't think so. So there's something very curious about Zionists are very happy about this segment. The Zionist lobby is a very powerful lobby, specifically the Christian Zionist lobby is a very powerful lobby and they fund a lot of politicians' campaigns and politicians aren't their own people. They think with whoever puts money in their pocket. So they're like, oh, that, that's the guy. That's who we have to clap for. That's, you know, the people who gave us the money want us to clap for that guy. So that that's why it happens. The, the military industrial complex is a hell of an industry and it has its hand in all of our politicians and... The Israeli lobby has its hand in a, a, a huge amount of our politicians. And it's like, well, that, you know, I've said that people are like, come on, that's anti-Semitic. It's like, dude, why, why is a congressman from the Bronx talking about the Iron Dome? Why are Congress people in Ohio talking about how important it is to uh, fucking rebuild the third temple? Like, I'm not making I'm not pulling this out of thin air. I'm, I'm go on Twitter. Yeah. What's that guy's name? Richie Torres. There's a congressman from the Bronx who like he's such an embarrassment. I swear to God, like I, I watch his like Twitter and all these <laughs> things. And I'm just like, bro, you're such a fucking loser. Like fix the Bronx. Do something, you know, uh, in your district. Like, don't you have didn't you get elected for a specific reason? Why are you talking about the Iron Dome? You're in the Bronx. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, back to the doc. Like, you know, it obviously leans very uh, Netanyahu heavy. And I wanted to put it out. We were almost ready to put 
put it out in 2021. And after he lost to Naftali Bennett, I was like, we got to wait. You know, I don't I don't want to I don't want to give too much of it away because obviously anyone who's Palestinian knows what I'm referencing here. But the, the documentary is clearly geared to uh, an American audience and they don't know, you know, they don't they don't know this stuff. Uh, it's not their fault. If it was in their face. I wouldn't have to make this documentary. It's because it's 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 hidden from them. It's kept. So that's that's yeah. the motivation. You know? Touched by when Yasser Arafat said you can't hide the sun with your finger forever. But I mean, the Zionists, they've been using their whole hand, right? Your movie, it feels like a glimpse of sunlight after years of blackout. How's the reaction been at the screening so far? And where do you want to see the film? So the rea- the, the reaction has been very good. You know, I'm not surprised that pro-Palestinians clapped after a pro-Palestinian documentary. And the second one was a lot of my friends and family were there. So obviously, you know. I'd hope that they fucking clapped and and after, but it, it, in all honesty, from other people who didn't know anything, really, really enjoyed it and said that they they were entertained and and informed the entire time, and, and that's really my goal is for like people here in this country, like my peers, kids I grew up with, um, to be entertained and informed, and I felt like it was the perfect time to do it because. When Trump got elected, all of a sudden there was this like hyper awareness to politics in our generation. People didn't give a fuck. I've cared growing up in a post 9-11 era as a Palestinian. I've always I always knew the news was bullshit. I always I always knew politicians were lying. Right. But it just kind of, no one had a reason to care. Palestinians in this country, you know, fake news is like that's our life. Right. So uh, and then when all of a sudden people were like became like champions of human rights and, you know, uh, geopolitical like pundits on twitter i was like all right you know now's now's the time they, they're clearly interested in this type of stuff and and the best part is that like, once trump lost people just stopped being kind of you know a, a fair amount of people were like oh yeah well you know so that's also another another really i think it works in our favor because if like when we post stuff or when we put this out and nobody like says anything or or they even fight against it you're like well i just went through your twitter you uh you say you care about human rights. Like Israel arrests 700 children a year, sentences children to jail. Like that doesn't bother you. Your taxpayer dollars funding, that doesn't bother you. You know, you care about all these other things that you're told to care about, or maybe you really do care about. But when I bring that up, you get scared. Why, why is that? You said something that you want the documentary to enter- entertain and inform. I think that's so critical. People don't, it's difficult to capture people's attention long enough to, if you're not entertaining them to some extent. So it has to do both. And I think one of the really cool things, and I'm going to try not to give away too much, but one of the really cool things is your use of archival footage. I think it's spectacular showing Zionist claims cut up against the reality mm. images and sounds and scenes that you see of Palestinians, our society, our civilization, people talking about it cut up against Zionists saying we don't exist, right? And then it just shows how ludicrous those claims are because a standalone interview of some pundit talking about how Palestinians don't exist, somebody might watch that and say, oh yeah, okay, well, he seems like he knows what he's talking about. And then that sticks in their brain. But the way that you rebut that, I think is really, really clever and uh, definitely kept me entertained. And then also pulling up all of those ancient clips of Arafat, I think was so necessary because we forget that at some point we had somebody who, yes, I'm not going to sit here and talk about 
oh, he's so great. He did all these great things. But at least there were moments when he spoke where the cause was being represented. There's a few reasons why he's like so prevalent in the, in the documentary, right? It's like he's like been forgotten. Right. So, no, it's not it's not a, he's not there as like a political endorsement, because at the end of the day, yes. all politicians are politicians. But yes. to the main point of keeping Americans entertained and informed, he's a very entertaining figure. And on top of it, he speaks English charismatically. Right. So it's like he really worked as a as a great protagonist for the Palestinian cause. And then you have elements of history that just, you know, we learn about so many things in school here. There's so there's things in, in the documentary like, wow, well, why didn't I learn about that in school? And on top of it, it's just like I have I have claims from him from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. So that also just proves how long we've been saying this. Right. You know, like you can you and I can say, oh, since 1948. But like, here's footage of the same statement being said in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Right. The other thing is, too, like I know how much money and time was spent to ensure that he looked like a terrorist. Like I learned about this in college and I didn't even know it as a Palestinian. I had a film class and they, they, the professor was explaining that the, the model of the terrorist in Hollywood and for cartoon was modeled off of Arafat. So, you know, the, the real war that Israel's been winning is a PR war. I mean, they're, they're fighting a, a group of people under occupation. They're not, you know, they're a nuclear power fighting either kids with rocks or you know, a, a small militant group. The real war that they're that they're winning is a PR war. So, like, to to bring Arafat into it is like to you know to go against what a lot of their time and effort went into for years. And it's like I, I didn't want to let that go away. You know what I mean? I didn't want to let that just like kind of slip, like to just for that to be forgotten about. You know. And then I have my own opinions, and other Palestinians have their own opinions with regard to him. But I just I feel like. Even to this day, you know, even in Gaza, where, you know, his party isn't prevalent, like on the anniversary of his death, they, they still have a march and there's kids still holding. And then you have just all these clips of him, like literally being hysterical or very articulate and making, you know, normal claims, like very, very normal claims. Like at one point, at one point in the doc, he says, like, we're not looking for the moon. We're asking for the international legality to be implemented. And that interview, like there, there's cuts from that interview throughout it. And then other other interviews, obviously, like over time. But that interview is like 40 minutes long. I wish I could just put that out as the document. It's from <laughs> I think it's from like 89. And it's just like he slammed it. He slammed. It. And that's and that's why he was such a uh, I think a threat. Like that's why they didn't want him here, because if you put him in front of a microphone, he was having Americans, Congress, like hysterically laughing, asking for his autograph. I have a clip that I'm probably going to use for promotion. It was like an ABC commercial uh, in between news that, you know, Yasser Arafat was uh, on Capitol Hill yesterday and he had, you know, it was a very, da very dangerous campaign of terror and all this stuff. And it just cuts to him literally making politicians laugh and, and the news people are like some of our politicians were even asking for his autograph like you know what i mean and it's just like you just see him <laughs> mingling with everybody and people are just like enamored by him so it's like yeah. they they don't want that footage to resurface like they don't want you to dig back and that's that's what i i want to do what they don't want <laughs> yeah and 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 they for sure prefer the current scenario which is a so-called leader of the Palestinian government, who is lethargic and nobody's heard English. of him, and he doesn't speak English. English. 
There's no and, communication. No. And when he does speak, he says things like, okay, I'm giving you a year to to end the occupation. I mean, I don't know. Oh, yeah. What's the, the date over? on that? Is, yeah. yeah the what's over? the, we should follow <laughs> up. He, he, he I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Per my last letter. Nobody yeah, knows you know I mean? his name in the U.S. And you're absolutely right that Arafat was a figure. He was known globally. And I do appreciate what you said. Like, it's not a political endorsement, but look at what he said. And there's a reason why they tried so hard to villainize him there. You know, it's complex. And there is much that we can take from his representation of the cause at the time. And there's a reason why we shouldn't let those videos just, you know, gather dust in a, a back room somewhere. And we can learn from them today. So I think that that's really cool that you managed to integrate all of that. You made a movie with like the understanding of social media culture, it felt like, you know, it felt like one of the like the best produced one hour TikTok that I've ever watched. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's done on purpose, right? It's like it flows yeah. like a social media timeline, because yeah. our generation is not going to watch a documentary with like a, like a, you know, a regular documentary. David called. Attenborough, like, yeah, and then I, through the woods, like I that like, type of shit. I like a lot of that stuff. I um, do, too. I'm a big fan, but it's but not. There's times I've, I've sat with some of my friends and I'm like, dude, we got to watch this documentary. It's great. Like, all right, you know, I put it on and they're like on their phone. I'm like, you, you, and they're just like not watching it. So I know that it has to be, it had to be done in a certain way to keep people entertained. And I've, I've been fortunate enough to like put it on for some of my friends and, and other people where these are people that like use their phone, even in movies they like, and they just were like locked in. Bro, it's straight dopamine for like an hour. Yeah, it could it could keep somebody with ADHD engaged. I have terrible ADHD, <laughs> and that's uh, I think that that's that's probably why, why you keep adding scenes to the movie. I'm done. You know that that big thing that happens at the end was what I've been waiting for, and once I put that in, I was just like, I felt for the first time like, wow, I think I'm done. I mean, you know, there's a couple little minor like things before we get ready for distribution that need to just either be you know titles cleaned up or you know whatever, but narrative wise like it's there i've been waiting for that yeah hey ellie hokenberg had her face blurred out which actually was an improvement but presumably uh you were <laughs> presumably you you were able to use the footage anyways because it's public domain but i blurred did she I, I blurred did, her i blurred her face out oh she didn't ask to be excluded no she didn't even see it for majority of the footage, I'm I'm sure that there's going to be some issues that arise, but I, you know, I've I've consulted a a fair amount of people, and the way that I, the way that I cut it, there's a really good fair use argument, and thank God for fair use, where you know if you, it's the same idea as if you write a paper in college, right? You're you're citing information, obviously. You cite it, like you know, like when you watch it, you know that that's not my footage. I'm not trying to pass that off as something I made. It's clearly the news. And the other thing is that fair use falls under too, like historical, educational, um, even like uh, criticism, parody, and that's why that's why it flows and cuts the way it does. Other than the fact that that's how I would have wanted to do it, regardless, it it, it also works in terms of like legality. Um, I just happened to blur her face out just cause I didn't, you know what? And I also was like, fuck it. Like there's some people that I know like her, for instance, like she might cause a beef. Yeah. And now you can't. Can I ask you a question about a critique that I heard about the film? Sure. 
Some have critiqued it for saying that there it was a little bit generous in, with the section on the peace process, mm-hmm. suggesting perhaps that figures like Rabin were peaceful and great and wanted you know, the creation of a Palestinian state and weren't these horrible, oppressive figures to Palestinians. But really, the problem is just with figures like Netanyahu and all of his buddies. What do you say to that? I agree. If what I did isn't a p- political endorsement of Arafat, if you think it's for Yitzhak Rabin or Shimon Peres, like, no, it's just, it's a matter of uh, the reason that that exists there. And you could, t- people could take it however they want. It's really to show a piece of history that happened more that than me being like, this would have fixed everything, you know? And it's, it, it also shows for the first time, right? Like hope you see, ho- like you see people hopeful, uh, obviously, you know, the uh, a buzzkill was inevitable and, and a giant letdown. But no, there's that definitely Yitzhak Rabin's a fucking war criminal. I know about the break their bones campaign. Uh, you know, it was him, right? It was him on the plane that Layla Khaled was trying to clip. I think if you if you go back that 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 plane that she uh hijacked, it was because he was supposed to be on that flight. Zionism is not good. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, it's just... I, I don't feel... Vinny, I appreciate you answering. I don't feel like anybody would watch that film and be like, he is a fan of Zionism. It shows, like, a shift even within the so-called Israeli society towards, like, a more ravenous and grotesque display of ethnic cleansing and genocide Mm -hmm. and and you know what the the main answer to to this is it's not about rabin it's not about the peace process it's about netanyahu it's about what happened in the 90s and why that's still relevant right this second you know it's like this is a guy that our politicians all but kiss on the lips when he comes here look what happened in the 90s look at who his uh, you know ben gavir look at what he said about rabin and look at what happened to Rabin. It's it's that. It's not it's not so much about oh fucking you know Oslo. This was this was it. I wish you know the 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 moderate left in Israel could be in power forever. No, absolutely not. It's look what happened and look why it happened and look who was responsible for making it happen and look who's in power right this second. Has nothing yeah. to do has nothing to do with me liking Yitzhak Rabin. Thank you for clarifying that you do not, in fact, like Yitzhak Rabin. I mean, listen. At the end of the day, like some, there there were definitely things that were said, right? Yeah. That I'm like that. You, it does touch your heart, but I know what, what politicians are. Right. The politician, you know. So like there there is that element that I won't lie. Like you know, when I was making, I was like, oh fuck, you know, like that's great. But I had to I have to check myself too and right. be like, well, that's not true. It's bullshit. Like you know, the, it wasn't going to end up to you know he wasn't gonna not build settlements i mean he 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 did talk about at times of like curbing them and reeling them back and my point in putting that in there specifically rabin not just Oslo, but like specifically like him and his and his uh and his comments like as a politician because of pressure from the united states like oslo was the first time that like zionism was like stopped in its tracks right and i think that even long term arafat or whoever like they knew that they were gonna renege right but it was the first time that they had to renege on paper there was actual like they had to they came in front of microphones and agreed and acknowledged our existence in these areas before that they was just like no what do you mean they're not even there right like media wasn't what it was in the 
early 90s, no one even knew. Like, you didn't even really know what the fuck was happening in the West Bank. But now, today, you can have people arguing against Israel. Like, wait, you guys said in the 90s that you would not further take land. And, you know, under that agreement, you've gone against every single thing under that agreement. So it's at least at least that there's something that shows that at one point they admitted and then reneged yeah. on that. But because bef- before that, there was they didn't admit anything. It was a no, what the fuck? There's nobody here. This whole thing's ours. Yeah, it's been, right. It's been for 2,000 years. And, oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm saying. So it's like you at least get to see Israeli politicians because of their own political agenda and pressure from the United States admitting some of the things that we've said forever, right? Right. Like controlling their lives, like, you know, admitting to an occupation, a military occupation. Not that they were genuine in wanting to stop it, but at least you hear it from them. And that's what I want um, Americans to see. It's not so much about, like, fuck, man, if he if he would have kept around, we'd be all happy today. You did an important job of educating people on what happened. Like, that guy got clapped by his own people. The whole occupation collapsing on itself, right? And it's like... You did a good job of introducing the origin story of one of the, you know, main villains of your story. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, exactly. That's the other thing. It, it's like it's it's most importantly that it's also it's it's like a really good introduction of the main villain of my story. Right. But also at the end of the day, it's a piece of history that does exist. That's otherwise just kept quiet. People don't, you know, we learn about so many historical moments and, you know, you, if you flip through a, a history textbook from the, from first grade to, to, to 12th grade in the United States, how many things are mentioned in those books, in all those chapters in from, in all those grades, is that mentioned? Does that come up? No. Why doesn't it come up? Because we still have to fucking clap 90,000 times when Netanyahu comes here. That's why. So it's, 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 it's that it's not, it has nothing to do with, uh, uh, you know, uh, me endorsing any party in uh, in Israel, any of them. Yeah, everybody knows Abraham Lincoln got killed in a theater. Nobody knows who Yitzhak Rabin is. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> so you mentioned uh, the breaking the bones thing. And for those that don't know, it was widely reported in the 90s that Yitzhak Rabin ordered the breaking of Palestinian bones. Uh, the LA Times reported in 1990, that an Israeli colonel accused of ordering soldiers to break the limbs of Palestinians testified that the beatings were, quote, part of the accepted norm in that period of the Palestinian uprising. When testifying to his own defense, Colonel Yehuda Meir told three military judges that his superiors did not question the beatings because there was nothing special in it. It was nothing out of the ordinary. He testified that it was former Defense Minister Yitzhak Rabin that gave the orders in January 1988 to break the bones of Palestinian youth as punishment. The best part about this article is the very end when he says that he admitted to ordering beatings, but he said he now feels abandoned by Rabin. He says, quote, I feel Mm. like they abandoned me and threw me to the dogs. Mayor told the judges he began to cry minutes later and asked for a recess. Isn't it interesting how all these so-called brave occupation soldiers that, you know, are carrying the latest and, you know, weapons and, and technology are just also the first to instantly cry when something they're like slightly inconvenienced? I I do find that juxtaposition very entertaining. I say the earlier you melt down, the bigger the gun. <laughs> and no, but and like seriously, that that that's a um, that's another reason for that being in there. It's because like he didn't even fully 
recognize what happens to the, to the Palestinian people, right? But even just the most minimal recognition, right. you have like they're putting kafis on him. They're calling him a fucking terrorist, and like that. I, I, that if if anything explains how insane the, the Zionist I- is. ideology yeah. is, it's that uh, Ben Gavir walking with a uh, a big banner with Bush in a in a kafiyah. And, and, you know, we, we don't have to really get into it too hard, but obviously, like, I've sent Lara's, the, you know, the, the, there's footage of, of Bush talking about Palestine that could easily sound like, you know, le- left-leaning left activist talking points today, right? Like, crazy shit. Like, there's articles like, you know, Bush calls for an end of the uh, mil- Israeli military occupation on the Palestinians. Like, you said, you could you tell that to people, they're like, no, that's not true. What do you mean? No way. And they're like, no, look, like, here's this. A, a part of me doesn't fully see a difference between what the Nazi party was and their uh, long-term intention of creating the state of Israel. Like, I think people who were Nazis and or funded Nazis, like it's Havra. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that people who were like on the side of the Nazis means that they're on the side of the Palestinians. If anything, like there's no, a no, lot no. more proof. There's Zionist the collaboration the- yeah, with like- Nazis. We've covered it on the last two pods. Thanks for listening. Um, <laughs> I, that's, and- how I, that's actually how I learned it. You didn't let me finish. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> and there was actually an Israeli general who compared the Zionist occupation to Nazi Germany. There's been many comparisons, obviously, by uh, settlers themselves who have led pogroms and said things like, we are not Jews. Today, we are Nazis. That's a quote. And then, obviously, we've spoken about like intellectuals like... Uh, Yeshua Leibowitz and Professor Noam Chomsky, who have brought up Judeo Nazis, which are the product of this occupation. So, like before World War II, before the Nazis, like when did Zionism start? Right, and people, it's not; it's long before Herzl in the 1860s. Right, it's before that. It's like Christian Zionism predates and precedes yes. Jewish Zionism by like 60 years. Hundreds they, of years. There were hundreds yeah. of years of Christian pro, Christians proselytizing Zionism to Jewish communities very unsuccessfully. They were like, yeah. you guys need to get out of wherever you are and go to a different place. And Jews were like, ooh, what if we didn't get raptured? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, what yeah, about yeah, that? Straight up. I've found that even aside from, you know, all of our talking points that are true, right? All the things that the Palestinians go through, like to make a greater point, it's like, well, what is Israel? Why was it even created? Who was who who had the the biggest helping hand in creating Israel? Where did Zionism come from? And they're all like crazy Protestant, anti-Semitic fucking lunatics who you know it's just like this political ideology that wanted to carve out the middle east because they couldn't get it from the ottomans the early zionists said stuff like anti-semites will be our biggest allies that's a direct quote and then just recently i saw an article written by a zionist troll and he had an article that was like basically the same thing he was like okay there's all this anti-semitism but how can we make it good you know what I mean? Like, how can we use this anti-Semitism to our advantage? And I was like, oh, wow, this is actually a reconnection with the original Zionist because this person used to be like a sort of peace loving, let's all get along, let's make a deal type thing. But now he's like openly faced talking about anti-Semitism is actually good for the cause.
Yeah, and, and that's why Kanye is allowed to go on every single, you know, giant news uh, uh, show and clarify his point, right? Because anti-Semitism is good. Theodore Herzl, the creator of... Uh, well, founder- don't say that. Don't say that. That's a bad clip. You know what I mean? <laughs> Come on, dog. No, no, but... but, but I'm going to clip that up and the other stuff you said about Jews earlier. Ooh, straight <laughs> to the ADL, my boy. Straight. Uh, l- let, me, let, me re- let me rephrase that. Why is Kanye allowed to come on and clarify his point, but somebody like Jeremy Corbyn is not allowed to come on and clarify his point. You understand what I'm saying? Someone like Miko Pellet is not allowed on the news, but they would, they'd love to have Kanye on there. And then before you know it, fucking Netanyahu's on Bill Maher, like a, like a shining star. Like, like, Oh, you know, Kanye said this. He's like, ah, that's come on. Anti-Semitism. Maher is like, Hey, are you going to drone strike Kanye or what? What's, what's get it popping. Yeah, I was like, no, listen, you know, anti-Semitism is, is old news. The the capitalists blame the Jews for being communists. The communists blame the Jews for being capitalists. We have bigger things to worry about than Kanye. You know, we have Iran and everyone starts clapping. That's that's why Kanye is allowed to come on and say this ridiculous shit. But somebody, yeah. again, like Jeremy Corbyn or anybody else who's been canceled for alleged anti-Semitism isn't allowed to come on and clarify. This is just going to give an opportunity for Zionists to have even more platforms to speak and talk about how anti-Semitism is really just anti-Zionism and conflate the two even further and garner more sympathy for Zionism and essentially just confuse people even more. You're absolutely right that people who actually do bring up substantive points, people like Miko Pellet, like Jeremy Corbyn, never have anybody engage with the substance of what they're saying, the actual grievances that Palestinians have, the, the daily reality that they live. They're never allowed to talk about that. They just continue to get smeared and painted as anti-Semites, when nobody is willing to engage with what they're saying. So you have a treatment of these two different groups of people that varies wildly. And it really just comes down to which one is going to be able to be used for the Zionist agenda and better. Pushing anti-Semitism, real anti-Semitism, is a vital element in the equation of Zionism. Like Theodore Herzl wrote in his diary, like, we need anti-Semitism. Anti-Semites will be our best allies. Somebody like Richard Spencer, a literal fucking neo-Nazi, is allowed to say, I'm a proud Zionist. He says he's yeah. a Zionist. He says he supports the state of Israel. Nobody has a beef with that or wants to even talk about it. It's like, wait a second. The guy who loves Hitler loves Israel. Can we get into that? Joe Biden. Joe, you don't need to be Jewish to be a Zionist. Biden loves the occupation. He's And he's also loves Nazis, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like he's sending a ton of money over to Ukraine where there are Nazis. And the American public is so fully conditioned to just like accept this huge extraction of taxpayer wealth over to a totally stupid proxy war. It's so conditioned and so like positive in the American mindset that I know Jewish mothers who are like, well, it's just a little bit of Nazis. What's the appropriate amount of Nazis? You know what I mean? Like, it's a very weird thing to get Goldilocks about. You know, like Jewish people are like, oh, well, it's, a, you know, just a little bit of Nazis. I'm like, first of all, it's a lot. But even if it was a little a lot. bit, when, when, when is that, when is a little bit okay? You yeah, know, I thought that I, my whole life, I thought, I thought the bad. appropriate number was zero. My whole I life. They were bad. Yeah, I thought that it's like, <laughs> that's it. Like, they're bad. Like, Trump's a Nazi. It's like, yeah. okay, you know, like, I get it. Trump's bad, right? Like, all, I, I, all, I, all US presidents and politicians are bad. That's my viewpoint. But there's real Nazis that people are championing while they're like screaming about fucking Donald Trump. Like, 
Joe Biden sees somebody raise a hand and they're like, oh, must be a signal to send more money. You know what I mean? Like, oh, <laughs> keep those billions coming. The way politics work, like he's the perfect president, right? Like, you know, he's controlled yeah. by lobbyists that funded yeah. his campaign. They're like, well, he can't even really speak for himself. So let's just kind of ship him out there and let him yeah. fucking say what we want him to say and then yank him as soon as somebody asks a question. Like that's ideal for people who yes. fund campaigns and 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 make money off of weapons contracts and any other terrible thing that, uh, you know, really runs this country, corporate America. It's a good day in Washington, D.C. when he just keeps his balance. Yeah, straight up. They're like, no, like when he won, they're like, yeah, fuck yeah. Like, let's go. This is this is ideal. Except that he can't really read a cue card. So then it's also like kind of creating. Hey, hey, a, you're being ageist right now. You're being ageist because he's suffering from dementia. <laughs> I, I genuinely feel bad for him. think he should be the president. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I don't have an issue with age or dementia. You know, I respect it, all of that. Yeah, big fan so of dementia. <laughs> big, big dementia fan. <laughs> can't remember everything <laughs> it's just so crazy because like i don't understand how people are can even argue against it it's like yo if you if you owned a restaurant would you hire somebody like that to be the hostess right no. like would you let him be the face of your restaurant let alone the fucking president of the united states of america why it's yeah. like it, people are like oh come on you know it is what it is it's like no dude it's not it isn't that's what it such is. a great like, point that is so, <laughs> like I'm imagining a Chili's in you no know, he'd get he'd get fired in two seconds like, he oh, wouldn't no, make no. it as a Walmart greeter because <laughs> he'd keep <laughs> saying goodbye like <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean so it's like how are people okay with the fact that the president of the United States is saying like wildly outlandish shit, like really kind of like visibly confused and people like his wife has to like make it. No, 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 don't walk that way. Walk this way. Like hold him by his arm. It's like, yeah. it's, it's actually, it's sad. It's, it's physical like, restraint. Just bring him home. Let him hang out with his grandkids. We'll do whatever he likes to do. Enjoy his last years and stuff. And the point about the early Zionists and Zionism in general be needing anti-Semitism to thrive. Benny Morris, the Israeli historian wrote, Herzl regarded Zionism triumph as inevitable, not only because life in Europe was ever more untenable for the Jews, but also because it was in Europe's interest to be rid of the Jews and relieved of anti-Semitism. The European political establishments would eventually be persuaded to promote Zionism. Herzl recognized that anti-Semitism could be harnessed to his own Zionist purposes. Yeah, so, so the that, next that's, time, that's nice. Yeah, exactly. Next time anyone tells you that Zionism is the answer to anti-Semitism, pull up this old Benny Morris reference talking about Herzl and Herzl's ideology. I have Dude. I have some good Herzl quotes here if you guys I'll, I'll read yeah, it. Yeah, we love wanna, a good we love Herzl, a good Herzl quote. <laughs> and you can fact check it before but I'm uh, 90% sure this was uh, Vinny wrote <laughs> these 5 minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a solution to the Jewish problem is conversion to Christianity, which brings us to our yep. lovely and amazing evangelicals in this country who legitimately control our foreign policy with regard to Israel. Like when any president left, right, no matter what, starts even thinking about like, uh, you know, a, a Palestinian Israeli peace process, even if it's just bullshit politics, like it's the, it's the, it's the Christian Zionist lobby. It's the, it's the evangelical lobbies, like all of them that lobby Congress to be like, no, 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 the, the, what do you mean East Jerusalem, Palestine? No, 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 no. That it's all of them in concert, right? It's the Christian Zionist mm -hmm. lobby. It's the Israeli Zionist lobby. But They're, who's more? Like, think about it. Like, who, who, there's way, both way, of them. Way they, more they, of that. They both 
share and shoulder a ton of weight and power on Capitol Hill. And, you know, it just depends on which district you're talking about. Like, they're going to approach different people, right? Of, like, of course. The people who are in like super swing districts where these races are very important, you're going to see APAC and it's like subsidiary organizations pretty much directly involved. And then if it's like, you know, the Bible Belt, they're obviously going to go with their evangelical counterparts who are more suited to lobby those people. There's 125 million evangelicals in this country. That's leaving out fucking Europe, Britain, South America. Zionism is pushing them heavy through church and a fantasy of, of the rapture and, and, and the end times. I'm but trying to find out how many people are involved in uh, Hagee's group. 90 million. Well, his 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 his. uh telecommunication system streams to 90 million homes right. right and and christians united for israel i think has like ah, fuck i don't know i think i think when it started it was like 40,000 members overnight and that was all to counter roadmap for peace bush's uh peace plan the palestinians accepted it it was like the 1967 borders he you know even bush was like they deserve a state it doesn't look like swiss cheese they need a real one He's fucking, right. <laughs> fighting fighting with ariel sharon shit like you know holding back settlements and uh, yeah, that, that was a that was a fun little uh, yeah. I'm Christians gonna... United for Israel claims over 10 million members, according to their own website. Yeah, and that's just that's just that's that just one group. group. That's right. just that group. There's so many other ones that like nobody knows about or talks about. And it's like th th that's the point, though. Like that's why Kanye's on the news. It's like don't look at this, look at this. And this is why Israel needs to exist because Kanye is a fucking nut job. And to Kanye a is a great distraction and we called it early on where we were like this benefits the Zionist narrative. Statistically, right? And and you got to fact check this Mikey, okay? I'm I literally pulled up Google. Jews in America, US Jews by and large vote left. Most American Jews are Democrats, is that what you're talking about? That's what I'm talking about. Since the 1930s, the overwhelming majority of Jews in the United States, around 70%, have consistently favored the Democrats over the Republicans. Okay, so, and and look at every single major Democratic platform when they run for president. They give lip service to a two-state solution, human rights for Palestinians. They're not like this, like, upfront neocon, right-leaning, you know, we got to fucking carpet bomb the Middle East until it's a parking lot. Yeah, Jewish Zionist versus Christian Zionist lobby. So it's like, yes, the APAC is what everybody talks about because it's a Jewish Zionist lobby, but it's really the Christian Zionist lobbies that have power. And it's the, it's the Christian Zionist citizens of America that have more uh, voting power than than Jewish Jewish people in America. Like if Jewish people statistically vote Democrat more, there that's more in line with even just even if it is just lip service to a two state solution and for a human rights for Palestinians. My point is, it's like people aren't addressing huge huge part of why this occupation and and uh, U.S. military aid for for Israel continues. And it's like this group of people that's not even considered. They're not even they're not even considered in the conversation and in, in mainstream conversation when it comes to Palestine. That should be the conversation. You know, at some point, if you want to jump back into the to film, I, I forgot that that's what we're here. To talk about. <laughs> you can you could you can. Uh, uh, Immortal Technique jumped on board. Shout out! I to know him. I that's saw so that. Dope. Congratulations! Fangirled so hard about that, Ben, because I told you when I saw that that he was my one of my first political inspirations when I Me was too. a senior yeah. in high Huge. school. I heard his music and I was like, whoa, like something woke 
up inside me and I was like, oh, okay, this is what I need to care about and pay attention to. And same. And I, I would listen to his music and just get chills and think I was so cool, obviously, for you know, for doing me it. Me too. <laughs> me too. Yeah, in, in many respects, he's like uh he's maybe one of the main influences on my entire like political creative agenda you know, if you will, like when I, there, there are certain things like moments in my life, like when I heard something in music or when I saw something on television, I was like, oh, fuck, I could do that. Like, this is like the proof that like you could do it. Like we've, you know, as a Palestinian, you always, you feel these things, you, but you're like, how do I do it? Who's done it? No one's done that. You know what no I mean? Then you, then you hear somebody like a moral technique, you're like, oh, fuck, well, I can't rap, but I, I could, I can get creative with being pro-Palestinian or being anti-military industrial complex. It's like, and so, yeah. So when, uh, when he came on board, it was just like, fuck, you know, I was so, I, in <laughs> many, in many respects, like I'm, I'm obviously going to get backlash, right? Like, and there's going to be people on both sides of the aisle that criticize the film like crazy Palestinians, obviously Zionists, obviously American people who just disagree and, you know, say it's very biased and it only leans towards the like whatever the case may be, there's going to be a lot of criticism. But I think that the people involved, like who have like, you know, producer credits are like the only people I care about, you know, what I, th th that's the only opinion that I care about. Like I would, I would hope that one day Immortal Technique would have watched the documentary and I would have wondered what he thought about it. Or somebody like Roger Waters, like I would have wondered like, oh fuck, did Roger Waters, did he like it? And now it's like, not only do they like, like it, they put their name on it. So it's like, I don't, I don't care what some director in Hollywood thinks about it. I really don't. I just like, I know that might not be a, uh, uh, a good perspective and outlook to have as like a filmmaker, like to care about like criticism, but it's like this specific topic, there's only a few people out there that I, 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 uh, I value their opinion on, you know, and even you, like you guys too, like, I'm happy we talked about, uh, you know, you bringing up Rabin and all these things. I want to have these conversations with people because I don't want them to take it at face value. Like, dude, no, like you didn't see, like, that's like, he's kind of low key pushing Zionist propaganda. It's like, no, 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 let's, let's get one thing straight. Like, that's not what I'm doing. And I'll go on every podcast, TV show and say outlandish things to ensure that that's not the perception after or the perception of me and my you know, agenda or whatever it is. Are you already thinking about what's coming next or are you still very much? In terms of this film or what I would do after? What are you going to do after? Oh, no, I was thinking in terms of this film. What are you going to do with this film? There's a few different models of distribution that we're considering. I'm really loving the self-distribution model only because, you know, like I, we've had some conversations with some big streamers and, and whatever else, but I just, I don't know. Once, once one of these entities has ownership or it's under one of these entities, like all bets are off. I've been able to retain creative control and the way I want to market it or add somebody to it from the beginning, right? You know, I might bring it to somebody and they say, yeah, you know, like, we love it. Here's a here's a check. I call my family and tell them that somebody bought, you know, this fucking giant uh, streamer bought the film. Everybody's happy. The next week I sit down at a table and I find out, yeah, you, we're, we're editing this out. This person's name is off it because they're too controversial. Like, I don't want to deal with any of that. There, there is a happy medium of me being able to self-distribute and also get it to to a place where a, a bigger audience can see it. So I'm, we're, we're about to tackle that very soon. Can people contact you to set up screenings in their yeah. city? Yeah, that's so once uh, we're, we're getting ready for a little like, you know, we're going to probably do something in L.A. and we're going to take it to Europe very soon thereafter and then a couple places in the Middle East for some some big events. There's also some fun ways that we're going to do some distribution. That's going to be pretty. You it's going to premiere at a fire festival. It, it's going to be very like <laughs> 
a la me, you know, like fun, right, fun, like, fun little jokey things that are just going to like push some buttons and stuff. So. Yeah, projected on the side of Knesset. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. Well, I can't wait to see. There was a moment where you showed some Banksy art and it had a, a quote, I think, uh, where art should comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. But what about Banksy? And like the Waldorf Hotel in general inspired you to like use it as a focus for the film. Well, so uh, a couple things. That quote is actually like remixed by Banksy. It's not an original Banksy quote. Hmm. Um, and it's very Banksy to like have it say Banksy, right? Like that photo exists. And I, th- I forgot where that that photo was, but it was in somewhere big where uh, it was addressed. Like that's not an original Banksy quote. He kind of remixed it. But because I'm in the walled off, like is it, it, the walled off hotel, it was like that that worked, right? And, and I I did one of the, one of the first things when I started shooting in the walled off. I asked the manager was Sam, who a lot of that a lot of the footage isn't in it, but he he said like you know I'm gonna call Banksy, I'm gonna tell him you guys are here, he's gonna be very happy, you know. He but knows I'm, Banksy. Well, he has to, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's the one in control of bringing like the day. Like apparently he apparently Banksy was there either when we were there or not long after we were there because as soon as we left they released you know they dropped that nativity piece where it was like the wall with like a bullet hole in it and um the nativity see it's actually in the dock it like zooms in on it you see the guy you see the a photo of Wasam introducing it into the wall so that was apparently created either while we were there or a little bit before a little bit after but in that general time frame yeah. Is it also a play on words? The Waldorf? Is it a play on Waldorf? Yeah, the wall the Waldorf Hotel in and of itself is a is a play on words like the Waldorf Hotel, right? But the Waldorf because yeah. the walls right there. But me using that as a title is a play on words too, because it's not just about the hotel. Obviously, it leans very heavy on the hotel, but it's like people who know about the Palestinians, they're like they're walled in, but we're walled off from them. So it's like I'm letting you in, you know, I'm bringing you in. Like, you know, you have the birthright kids and what happened to them. Now it's like, this is like our birthright. Like we're, we're going to bring you in here. That was, I knew that like intertwining Palestine with back to the first things that we were talking about, like keeping it entertaining and engaging and informative, but entertaining and engaging is the number one thing. It's like, what better, what better place? What it's Banksy's hotel. Like, you know, American, everybody loves Banksy. It's like, he's this mysterious, you know, anonymous figure. Who's like a sick artist. Like, yeah, he's got an expo in every city near you, you know? Yeah. And it's like, Oh, if you love art so much, like check this art out, you know what I mean? So, uh, it it was a, it was a perfect like grabber to start. And then from there I was able to dive into everything. And it also just, it works so well with, with, with Sam giving us that tour and then me being able to cut back and forth from what art he was showing to like either footage or, you know, archive footage or footage on the ground. And oddly enough, that was all shot. We just walked in and he gave us that tour. And that was like the majority of the doc was just like us walking. We didn't know he was going to be there. We just went there to like kind of film it and maybe then interview somebody after. Like he just kind of was like, hey, hello, I, I've been expecting you. Take a walk with me. I just kept rolling and we walked through the entire hotel and the museum and it became the most of the documentary can i ask it you was like a, a logistics question sure it, you shot most of it on the iphone because the the occupation confiscated your your camera equipment yes. right so so how do you get like good sound on an iphone well so it wasn't like we you know we got there and and the soldiers like fucking tied me down and took my shit it was withheld at the airport and the reason it's withheld at the airport is because they knew what we were doing they knew and I'm with Unwar. Like they know why we're going there. I have four 
you know, big camera bags and they're like, oh, you know, mm, that they actually got stuck. Uh, give us give us your address and we'll send it to you. The reason is because we don't say we're going to the West Bank. You have to give them an address in Israel. Mm-hmm. So that's where they that they that's how they try and figure out where you're staying. Luckily enough, we had friends. It took a couple days. So most of the B-roll and some of the scenes were shot on the iPhone, right? But I was able to through Bassam and Yasmin Rimshfilm, they they're great. They helped out a lot. Like I had an A7, a smaller camera with like a Rhodes mic attached to it. But okay. it wasn't it wasn't my setup. So like the 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 interview with him had an A7 and an iPhone. But we also had like a lav. We had a mic there. Or like when we're walking around, there was a Rhodes mic attached to the camera. So that sound okay. uh, is, is where it got. But honest, but even, even if you listen, the sound's not good. Like you yeah, can but hear it's, like. It's not an iPhone. So that's yeah, why I was like, no, 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 how no. do you do this? No, no, no. That's, no, that wasn't like the sound's definitely not from an iPhone. But like sometimes I would use the sound, you know, from the Rhodes mic, but use iPhone B-roll over it where you sure. don't know, you, where you don't know that it's like different, you know? Mm-hmm. That's like the trick of editing. Michael, you're we can't hear you. Yeah, I just realized I was on mute. Never mind. It's so funny that you're like becoming a sound engineer, but like <laughs> didn't do a mic check last time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not becoming and it's so funny that you tried to say that, but we're on mute. <laughs> yeah, that is true. It is actually very funny. I'm gonna have to keep that in. <laughs> that dunk on myself. Been able to work on some really cool projects, uh big documentaries where I was either like or TV shows or whatever where I was like, you know camera crew or had a different position but this is like the first film that i like wrote directed produced edited scored right it's like my entire mm-hmm. like this is my film of course is you know help but this is like my baby and it sucks because like it works but it also sucks because it's not like properly shot i mean it, the, the element of why it's not probably shot really works for the film but there's points where i'm like oh, i just fucking wish the you know like i wish i didn't have i wish i had my camera here or the cameras that i brought like that would look so much better it's one of those things where i think that it really only like sticks in my head but i'd yeah. want you know the, the representation to to match the the quality of some of my work that i'm able to do but you know i as of now i think that the people have seen it like that's not what comes across so i'm like no you know? and and like you said in the beginning you you sort of created it as this fast-paced social media TikTok sort it of works thing. For that. So it- the only people who are going to notice that are like you and three fans of John Woo. <laughs> exactly, like film bros. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no. I mean, listen. It's been it's been exciting from the beginning, and also like very very stressful at, at a lot of points. Obviously, you know, in the summer of 2020 and during COVID. Lara and I spoke a lot. We had nothing but time on our hands. And I was just like, the world stopped and American politics were crazy. And like, I was knee deep in it then. And like you said, like you saw footage from November 14th, 2022. Yeah. I'm knee deep in it right now. So it's been like, a, uh, it's been my life for, you know, I've been able to take a couple other jobs here and there in between, but this has been the main focus. And it's also you know, gotten longer and longer and longer. <laughs> Yeah, the first. Because I think the cut I saw was like forty minutes long. It was fifty-three minutes, something like okay. that. And I loved it when it was an hour. But also, um, I had some advice from some older, very experienced and very smart Palestinian filmmakers. My first cut was straight like Hezbollah. It was like Palestine. You know what I mean? Like it was no <laughs> like. And this is a little bit more unbiased, I'd say. Which uh, I'll still be called biased and. 
so for that reason, I was almost like, I don't, I'm not even going to do it. But I, I'm happy with where it's at because regarding the, the most recent news, it works. It ended up all it ended up all working on. I'm just happy that I kept it at like an hour and a half. Yeah, I really liked uh, the use of subtitles in the movie. And when you and Anwar were in Palestine, you said Palestinian birthright, which is something that I'd never seen before, reclaiming that term. Very smart. And then also when you introduced Robert Spencer, you introduced him as author and liar. <laughs> there was there there was a lot of that to the point where a couple people were like, dude, you're putting yourself into it too much, whereas the footage speaks for itself. Like, and it's you're showing that the filmmaker has a bias. So there was only a few that I kept, but I had some funny like like Pat Robertson was little Pat Periwinkle for the longest time. Um <laughs> There was there was a lot. And there was other things like even with Netanyahu and subtitles where it was just like it would be flowing so perfectly. And then I understood what they said after I like stepped away from a little bit and then I watch it. It's like, oh, here's a movie you're engaged in. It's like, here's the filmmaker, you know, and like Spike Lee does that. And sometimes like I love when Spike Lee does that. And sometimes I hate when Spike Lee does that. So I under, I, I appreciate a lot of that advice and or criticism. And I think I, I kept it to a, a nice level of like a happy medium of me doing that, but also keeping it, you know, like a, just a, a regular film without fucking interjecting my silly little humor into it with people who are either like Zion with debating with Zionists or my friends who like have uh you know a counter opinion I'm like dude your main points like when they talk about like 48 or 67 like you lost a war right <laughs> at the end you lost the war like that's what happens at the end of it like I'm done with this conversation you fucking lost the war and and that's it like that's what happens when you lose a war it's like oh really because Apparently, you guys lost a war 2,000 years ago. I'm saying that somebody two weeks ago just got thrown out of their house. Like, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, like, losing any. I don't know what you're, what you're even talking about. Like, the entire premise of your argument and the existence of this state is based on losing a war to, like, the Romans 2,000 years ago. Demolishing this child's house because you lost a war. You lost yeah, a war. Yeah, you lost. That's so. why this whole village has to go. We're going to put condos here. You lost a war. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Folks, that's been another episode of the Palestine Pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Check us out on our website at www.palestinepod.com. Send us an email at palestinepod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at the Palestine Pod and look for us on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Palestine Pod. That has been another episode of the pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day. Ooh.